Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hey, welcome along. This is The Andrew Lawton Show. And as you can see there, I have turned into an 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper. There we go. Actually, to be honest, I think the 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper was more attractive than what you're seeing now. Maybe we'll just do the whole show in paper form, get some Hewlett Packard sponsorship. I don't know, do they even make paper? They're just printers. Okay, this show is already a train wreck. I'm just like the uh, federal and provincial governments combined now. It's great to have you tuned in to another, if you can't tell, live edition of The Andrew Lawton Show. We did one of these a couple of days ago and had such a grand time. We are doing it again now. Because we're live, that means we are going to be taking your questions throughout the show. If you want to chat away, you can do so on our Facebook stream, on our YouTube stream, if you're watching on YouTube and you do a super chat, uh, it goes right to the top of the list. So we'll try to get to as many of your questions as we can. We also have some clips, musings, observations, thoughts, perhaps rants, whatever else comes up about what we're seeing happening in the last couple of days in Ontario, federally, and across the country as the convoy wages on. So I do thank you very much to those of you tuning in. And if you're watching the tape, you can't submit your live questions, but you can very much enjoy the show in all its splendor. So thanks again for that. A big story last night, of course, was the Ontario government moving to freeze the GoFundMe replacement funds. So Give, Send, Go. This is a American Christian company that the organizers of the Freedom Convoy switched to after about a week ago, GoFundMe decided to capitulate to pressure from the Canadian government, the Ottawa city government, Ottawa police and yank that, I think it was like $10.1 million that had been raised, and they went and went to another company. That's the free market, right? So the organizers say, we're going to find another platform. They found another company that said, yeah, we're gung-ho about this. We're all about freedom. We're all about free speech. We're going to let your donors contribute through us. And in less than a week, this give, send, go, I'm just going to check it right now, because every time I do, it's gone up. It is right now at 8,866,747 US dollars. Now, I don't know what the exchange rate is right now, so I'm going to get this in real time. If we do 8.866 million USD in Canadian dollars, that is 11,284,575 Canadian dollars and 91 cents. There's no penny, so we have to round it down to the 90 cents now. So $11.3 million almost that's been donated in less than a week after the GoFundMe big tech government cabal tried to, well, not tried tried to, but zapped the $10.1 million. And now this money has been effectively frozen by court order based on an application by the Ontario government yesterday. Now, this is something that government has confirmed, that they took an application to court and they had a closed door hearing. So behind closed doors, or as they call it in legal terminology, ex parte, which means the only people in the room were the government and the judge. No defendants, no convoy organizers. They weren't allowed to defend themselves. They weren't allowed to see the case against them and respond to it. It was behind closed doors. And the reason they do that is because in an asset freeze, they don't want you to know it's coming and move the assets around. That's what they do when they go after gangsters and organized criminals, not freedom-loving activists. Nevertheless, they have have this closed door hearing and the judge just looks and says, yeah, I think the government makes a good enough point. So they've now criminalized 
the usage of these funds. And if I use the specific wording here, I want to put up the, the court order. This is the restraint order that the judge in the Ontario Superior Court of Justice, you may recognize this. This is how I looked for the first five seconds of the show. So this is the restraint order. And it just says that this is an ex parte application. And the judge has been satisfied that he doesn't need to give the application uh, notice of it to the Freedom Convoy because then it would result in, quote, the disappearance, dissipation, or reduction of value of the property sought to be restrained. He says specifically it's involving the Give, Send, Go campaign. You see the links there. And let's go to the next page of this. So this part of the order specifically says what it's prohibiting. And if you look, I think it is graph one. This court orders... Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, there it is. Uh, graph one, line four, that the Freedom Convoy organizers are prohibited from disposing of or otherwise dealing with in any manner whatsoever any interest in the property. So that's what they're saying. So you can't dispose of or use in any way any of the money that's being raised in connection with the Give, Send, Go campaign. So what we know from this is that the money is still flowing. Give, Send, Go has said that Canada has no jurisdiction over how it runs its finances, and we don't actually... I mean, that's not necessarily true because Canada and the U.S. do have agreements and treaties and partnerships on things like this. So, well, the Ontario Superior Court of Justice doesn't inherently have jurisdiction, it could extend to Give, Send, Go. And, and Give, Send, Go is specifically named in this. But nevertheless, what we're seeing here is that Give, Send, Go is still taking donations and still processing them and still passing them along, it says, directly to the Freedom Convoy organizers. And there's been another uh, 1,000 dollars just in the time span since I last told you how much was there there's been another thousand dollars so that's what we're seeing here happening so the problem is I don't know how the government's going to enforce it they've frozen the assets they've made it a criminal offense to do anything with it so if the convoy organizers go and you know take a hundred dollars out to refill a jerry can of diesel and buy a few sandwiches for some truckers technically that is now a criminal offense so how long it takes to enforce this, the mechanisms to do it, I was actually trying to get on the show today a legal expert because there are a lot of people who are very entrenched in their positions because they're trying to project what they want to happen on what the law is. And as we know, in the last two years, the law really doesn't care about your ideological persuasion. So all the people saying the government can't do this, well, the government is doing it. And conversely, all the people that just want uh, every dollar seized by the government, again, are probably not going to get what they want. But the whole point is the Freedom Convoy money has become mired in bureaucracy now, court order, government seizure. And it's amazing how this group that Justin Trudeau said just a couple of weeks ago is a fringe minority. Remember that famous line, a fringe minority with unacceptable views, a group that was just, you know, it's just a bunch of crazy, angry people tired of pandemic restrictions. You fast forward to now, and this is somehow a group that is so powerful and threatening to the state that the government has to seize $11 million in cash, or should I say freeze? The government hasn't seized it just yet, but don't mistake for a moment that they aren't going to try. Again, I don't know the, the legalities of that process, but I, I made a point in my, my newsletter, which just went out, I don't know, an hour ago, that what the government is doing here is, is confusing the money for the momentum. And they're forgetting or just painfully ignorant to the fact that the money is a reflection 
of the convoy's power and influence and support. The money is not the support. This is not a movement where one person is bankrolling it and all the people are there for the money. No. The millions of people around the world, including across Canada, of course, that are supporting the convoy, the millions of people are donating because they support the convoy. They're not supporting the convoy because they have this giant war chest of cash. And that's why after GoFundMe refunded all those contributions that went to the original campaign, they were able to make more money in less time. And I have no doubt that in the next week, they're going to find another way to get $11 million. What I said in my newsletter is that they're either going to do it by Bitcoin transfers or bags of cash or just gold bars being thrown down the Rideau Canal like curling, which would be a very Canadian way to do it. But no matter which way you slice it, this is not going to end just because law enforcement and government are going after the money. It's only going to grow. It's only going to make people more emboldened in their support. And the, the needs are very few. I mean, what do they need, really? They need food and they need fuel. Both of those things can be very easily provided without traceable currency, as we've seen in the last little while. I mean, jerry cans have just become like the most popular accessory in Ottawa right now because everyone, just man, woman, child, everyone's walking around downtown with a jerry can because after police started seizing them, everyone said, okay, I guess we're going to bring all these jerry cans full of gas and diesel to downtown Ottawa. And eventually they won out. It became impractical or impossible for police to start going after the fuel, which for, you know, three hours on the weekend was like their big master strategy to take the wind out of the sails of this convoy. And, and I think we're going to see more of that with the funding. And, and again, I, I'm not at all ignorant or blind to the fact that the convoy's tactics here are very much disruptive. It's a peaceful protest, yes, but it is incredibly, an incredibly disruptive process. If you are going across the border for whatever reason and, and you can't, for work or for leisure, yeah, this is going to be annoying as all heck. And I get that. And I don't know how much staying power this has because now you've, you've got America involved. And Justin Trudeau, we were going to start this at about two o'clock and then Eastern time. And then Justin Trudeau was going to have a press conference. And I said, okay, well, I'm not going to make the poor people have to watch him live. So I'll watch it. And then I'll summarize what was said. And at the end of it, nothing was really said. <laughs> he started doing what I'm doing. He just went to like reader email and started just reading emails from people that are magically aligned with the position that he wants to take, which is that, oh, I don't like this convoy. And, and I'm sorry to like Helen in Toronto who wrote to Justin Trudeau, but <laughs> Helen in Toronto's voice does not get to trump the millions of people that believe in what the truckers are trying to achieve, even if they might not agree with each particular tactic. Because I agree, there is a, a fundamental difference between the blockade at the Coots border crossing in Alberta and the Ottawa uh, demonstration, which has become the, the main hub of it all. And, and also the border closures themselves. There, there's a big difference between Coots, where you've got a couple of other options that aren't that far away, and Blue Water Bridge in Sarnia, Port Huron, and Ambassador Bridge in Windsor, Detroit. Because you've got these giant lakes in southern Ontario, and you've also got major, major traffic on there. I can't remember the number, but a significant portion of all cross-border trade between Canada and the U.S. is crossing by truck on that bridge in any given day. But it was interesting. Just before we came on, Justin Trudeau did say something that I, I found fascinating. He said that we're seeing here a, a situation in which we cannot and will not let the border remain closed. 
This is the guy who shut down the Canadian border for a year and a half. And now he's all high and mighty about the fact that we cannot stand for the border being closed. Now, again, I don't like the idea of this trucker blockade shutting down this border. I don't. But it is a little bit rich from a government that had no issue doing that for so long, talking about it as though this is going to cripple the economy. Well, if, if border closures are crippling the economy, perhaps you shouldn't have done them. Perhaps you shouldn't have done them. Perhaps you shouldn't be stopping cross-border truckers from being able to do their jobs. So that's the problem that we're seeing here is that we have these conflicting narratives. Anything the government says about all the damage being done by the protesters is a reflection of what government itself has been doing for the last two years. Like when people are saying, oh, how dare these protesters uh, disrupt businesses in downtown Ottawa from people that close down businesses in Ottawa and everywhere in the province and have kept them in an intermittent state of closure for much of the last two years. And I've been talking about the financial aspect here. I, I haven't talked about the big news which came out today, courtesy of Doug Ford. Let's hear it in Premier Ford's own words. Today, I'm using my authority as Premier of Ontario to declare a state of emergency in our province. And I will convene Cabinet to use legal authorities to urgently enact orders that will make crystal clear it is illegal and punishable to block and impede the movement of goods, people, and services along critical infrastructure. This will include protecting international border crossings, 400 series highways, airports, ports, bridges, and railways. It will also include protecting the safe and essential movement of ambulatory and medical services, public transit, municipal and provincial roadways, as well as pedestrian walkways. Fines for non-compliance will be severe with a maximum penalty of $100,000 and up to a year imprisonment. We will also provide additional authority to consider taking away the personal and commercial licenses of anyone who doesn't comply with these orders. This will not impede the rights of Ontarians to peacefully protest it will provide additional tools to help stop the illegal occupation of Ottawa and the Ambassador Bridge in Windsor. While these emergency orders will be temporary, we have every intention to bring new legislation forward that will make these measures permanent in law. So that was just a little while ago, Ontario Premier Doug Ford declaring a state of emergency and also threatening, just to give you the upshot there, $100,000 fines or one year in jail for anyone involved in any of these illegal blockades, as he's called them. And that's significant. $100,000 fine, one year in jail, and the other punishment was a suspension or a revocation of your personal or commercial driver's license. So again, they're throwing out the big guns which you don't need to do when you're going after a so-called fringe majority or to use Doug Ford or fringe minority rather, or to use Doug Ford's previous term, a bunch of yahoos, which uh, is a group that has grown quite significantly in scope in the last two years. 
Now, as I mentioned at the top, I'm going to be taking some of your questions. If you're on YouTube or Facebook and you have something about this or, or even anything else in the general vicinity of what we've been talking about, do post those in the comments and we'll try to get to several of them as the show goes on. A lot of questions people are asking generally about the, the forfeiture, seizure, freezing of funds. And again, I'm not a lawyer. And if you get legal advice from me, I don't recommend you take it because I, I'm in no position to give it to you. But I do have questions. I do have questions myself about this because I know that they got this behind closed doors in a, an ex parte hearing. So it's only when it was released publicly that the convoy organizers even learned about it because they weren't there. They didn't know what was going on. They did not get the ability to defend against this. Now, practically, I don't know how long it takes for the government to get to a bank and get the bank to enforce this and deny the access to the funds. I, I don't know if it's already happened. I do know that one of the organizers who I had on the show not that long ago, Benjamin Dichter, had talked about how basically it was just like a big boon for Bitcoin. Like my Twitter feed, the last 12, 16, however many hours has all been about Bitcoin, 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 Bitcoin. I, look, I'm a tech savvy person and I have no idea if I even wanted to send Bitcoin to someone how to do it. I'm not saying I couldn't learn, but I'm saying that this is not a real solution. But it is showing the resilience of a lot of people that are not going to let government tell them they cannot support the convoy. And again, this is a, just an analytical point. This is not a, a normative point. Whether you agree or disagree with the convoy, you have to understand that the momentum that's carrying it is not coming from the money. The money is a reflection of the momentum, not the other way around. Uh, Nicole, Nicole or Nicola, I apologize if I'm getting this wrong, says, how does the Ontario government even have authority to take the truckers uh, cash? Well, again, they, they've done it under this section of the criminal code. I think it's like 490 or something. And this section of the criminal code allows them to go after resources that are connected to something that is illegal, that are connected to an offense. And all they had to do was convince that one judge in one room that this money was connected to illegal activity and they could go after this. Now, like I said, I don't know, practically speaking, what it's going to look like in them trying to enforce that order on Canadian bank accounts on an American company, which is what Give, Send, Go is, and what happens to the money in that time. For all we know, the government could be trying to seize the money to make sure that it doesn't just hold it in place, but collects the money itself treating the convoy organizers like, again, there's organized crime. You see this in the U.S. all the time. They have It's called civil forfeiture, where what you'll see is uh, police that are just taking like a Hummer that's owned by some drug lord and slapping their logo on it and saying, ha-ha, we found a new Hummer. Or people that are seizing property like, uh, you know, Hell's Angels Clubhouse or whatever and saying, oh, I guess we've now found a new real estate. And you get governments and police that without criminal convictions even, are seizing assets. Now, this is not civil forfeiture, which is something different. This, though, has not even had the benefit of a trial. It was just, like I said, a closed-door hearing. And it is real. Just because you can keep donating to the Give, Send, Go, just because Give, Send, Go says that it's still sending money along doesn't mean that the government isn't going to win. So we'll be monitoring it closely. But again, all the people that have responded and said, well, this is fake news, the fundraising page is up, the government hasn't shut down the fundraising page. They've just made it illegal to use the money. They've made it illegal for anyone, give, send, go, or the convoy organizers to do anything 
with the cash. So that's the the offense. How it manifests in reality will, still stands to be seen. But I, I want it to be very clear what was actually at stake here. It wasn't about shutting down the page. It's just that if you're donating to that page, I mean, for all I know, that could end up in the Ontario government coffers. I, I have no idea at this point. And no one else does. So we'll follow that. I don't want to get too in the weeds on it. I, I'm just trying to understand the complexities of it because the government certainly doesn't seem to understand them. They've just decided to go rogue on this. And just interestingly enough, this is a complete sidebar. It's just an amusing thing I discovered yesterday because I'm going back to Ottawa probably in the next couple of days to get a re refresh on what's happening on the ground. And I was trying to find a hotel, which is very difficult to find because all of the hotels across the city are, are being booked up uh, quite significantly. But then, then I found this, which was hilarious. And I remember when this was announced. The Ontario government was trying to throw a bone to the tourism industry after shutting down the province for so long. So they launched this thing. It's called the Ontario Staycation Tax Credit. And you can see it on the screen there. You can get up to 20% of your eligible 2022 accommodation expenses back on your income taxes. And if you look at the next page there, it deals specifically with lodging. Uh, so on this website, you can get your hotel, motel, resort, lodge, bed and breakfast, cottage or campground expenses back. And it's for short-term stays of less than a month at an Ontario hotel, motel, resort, lodge, etc. So my, so anything you spend, if you're in Ottawa to join this protest, you can actually get back up to 20% on your taxes. And then when I booked my hotel for this coming, uh, whenever I'm, I forget the dates, actually, I should probably check on that. Maybe I was like, my, I'm supposed to be leaving right now. Who knows? When I booked my hotel, though, for when I'm going back to Ottawa, I also saw there was an Ottawa promotion on, and this I, I just saw, that is a $100 Ottawa tourism credit on your hotel that is applied for stays up to March 31st, 2022. So you can actually get an Ottawa tax credit and an Ontario tax credit. So you can get some of your money back for joining any of these protests, which I, I find is hilarious because on one hand, you've got Doug Ford using language like this is a siege on Ottawa. And on the other hand, you have the government partially subsidizing people that want to be there in it, which is like probably like my favorite story of just like the little insignificant oddball stuff. Probably my favorite story of the protest so far. Rick says negative government response to the protest amplifies the importance of the protest. I, I hugely agree with that, Rick. I, there's a certain point at which people just dig their heels in even more and become more emboldened. And, and we saw that with the jerry cans. Ottawa says it's illegal to bring fuel in. And what does everyone start doing? Bringing fuel in. Gas, diesel, empty jerry cans just to throw them off. And that's what happened with money. GoFundMe says, no, we're not having your campaign. More people donate on Give, Send, Go. The government says, no, that's not going to fly. People are going to find a way to support the convoy another way because they've already decided it's worth supporting. Someone said that, and I, I wish I saved the tweet and, and caught the name, but someone mentioned this on Twitter to me earlier today, and it, it stood out. They said, you know, the, the why, or the how is not as important as the why. Once people have decided they're going to support it, the how is irrelevant. They'll find a way. And all governments are doing are playing whack-a-mole and trying to deal with all of these things, which is what's happening right now at the borders. 
They're trying to deal with the Ottawa situation and then the Ambassador Bridge and then Coots and then maybe the Peace Bridge and maybe Queen's Park and maybe hospitals and then we've been hearing schools. And, and I think anyone who is uh, driving around this heavy machinery around schools, I, I think needs to seriously check themselves. I have no time for anyone who wants to bring these protests to schools. You're talking about places where children are running around and that should be off limits. But the whole point is what I'm saying is that police and law enforcement really have no idea where the protest is going to go. They just don't know where it's going to go. And and I feel that anytime they suppress one aspect of it, it's going to make two in its place. And that's going to be the trend that we're seeing here. And I realize we're at the point where it only ends one of two ways, violently or voluntarily. That's it. Those are the only options. It, it has to end with force or without force. And there's a spectrum of force and there's a spectrum of without force. Obviously, threatening charges, threatening jail time is something that could trigger people to voluntarily leave. But the ones that don't eventually are going to get handcuffs thrown on them. And at that point, I don't know what's going to happen. What I do know is that the convoy effect is real. We talked about this on the show a couple of days ago, how all of these governments are miraculously coming around to the position that the convoy supporters have been advocating for weeks and claiming it has nothing to do with the convoy. It was Alberta, Saskatchewan the other day. This morning, it was Manitoba and Ontario. Doug Ford, seconds before he announced the state of emergency, said that he's putting a plan in place to get rid of the vaccine passport, and that's going to be coming out in a couple of days. Now, totally fair to say it's too slow, and it's not enough, and it's not quickly enough. I get that. I'm not disputing that at all. But I think that when all of these politicians who have been, even as recently as a few days ago, very resistant to lifting restrictions are coming out and saying, we've got to say something about it, it's clear that the convoy is having an effect. The convoy is mainstreaming opposition to pandemic restrictions. And that was something that even Justin Trudeau couldn't avoid. His press conference that he had just, I don't know, an hour ago or so, he was talking about it and he was trying to drive a wedge between opposing the pandemic and the convoy. And he was starting to speak slightly more sympathetically to people that oppose COVID restrictions because he's trying to say, oh yeah, you, you, you may oppose COVID that's, or oppose lockdowns, that's fine, but, but you're not like those truckers. So he's noticing that this movement has become massive. And he has to find a way to just shove that like Trudopian wedge in between it so that the movement divides in on itself. But I, I don't think it's going to work because people don't really have much time or patience for him and how his government has handled this. So I'm just looking at, at a couple of your comments here. One, uh, G- George has asked about the woman who had the cop come to the door for being as part of the convoy. I, I'm going to get to that one in a second, George, and I, I'm glad you brought that up here. But first, I want to take this question from Judy and Jim, who ask, can't the truckers legally fight Doug Ford's enforcement of these rules? They can, and they will. They've got lawyers. The Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms has staffed up a legal team for them, the Democracy Fund. There are other lawyers involved as well. The question is about how much time that takes and what happens in the meantime. Because the government's trying to starve them out. The government's trying to say that your money is frozen. And the and not just your money being frozen, but we are going to do this preemptively before you can defend it, before you can defend against what we're doing, before you can make arrangements. That's the whole point. 
So they can fight it, but the cards are being held by the government right now if they're able to get that freeze enforced because they get to hold on to the money while this thing takes however long it takes, months, weeks, years, who knows? But this is a very complex area of law. And all the lawyers that we reached out to to ask if they could come on the show today and explain a little bit about it, all of them were saying, oh, this is like, this is too complex. They didn't want to get involved because it is a very specialized area of law. So it's not just enough to say, well, free speech, peaceful protest. We're talking about a cross-border financial transaction worth 11 million Canadian dollars here involving different jurisdictions, different people, and activity that the government is trying to call a violent insurrection, despite how untrue that characterization is. So that's, I think, where we are right now, and and we're going to see a lot more of that. Let's talk a little bit about the mainstreaming aspect. Because we are seeing for the first time, not just all these changes in provincial legislation, but also some real political leadership, some real political leadership on this. Candace Bergen, who I know a lot of people in our audience have criticized for telling the convoy to go home, but she's been very clear on this and standing up against how Trudeau has been viewing all of this. And I want you to take a look at this clip. This was from the House of Commons. I think it was yesterday. Uh, My producer can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was yesterday. Candace Bergen calling out Justin Trudeau for expecting the Conservatives to be the official opposition of Canadians rather than of him himself and his government. Madam Speaker, you know, this is just typical of, of obviously the Prime Minister's direction to many in his caucus. They, they keep keep stigmatizing, keep dividing, call names. As he walks out, he's calling names. Madam Speaker, we believe our job on this side of the House is to listen to all Canadians, to represent them, to hear them, not call them names, not try to divide them. In addition to that, hold the Prime Minister to account. We are not here to hold Canadians to account. We are here to hold the government to account. We are not here to hold Canadians to account. What a concept. Justin Trudeau, he fancies himself the official opposition of Canadians, which is why he has not been interested in hearing any of the concerns. And all of the opposition leaders, including the NDP, which I think I said on the show the other day, miraculously managed to find a spine for its leader, which is a a tremendous victory for the healthcare system. I think all the delays of non-essential surgeries prevented uh, Jagmeet Singh from finding a spine, but but he finally found it. Surgeries are back in Ontario, and he was able to take a stand, and after calling everyone who opposed restrictions racist, Haiti, Haiti, Trump uh, lovers for the last few days, finally said, we need to get a plan in place to exit the pandemic. But even him and Candace Bergen were saying to Justin Trudeau, we've got to talk about how we're going to handle this. And Trudeau wasn't interested. He finally, finally decided to convene the opposition leaders together for a phone call last night. He did a little Zoom. And I I want you to see the tweet that he posted about it. Because he was talking about all the stuff that he had done. And then he said, finally, I have seen the opposition leaders. Uh, I briefed the opposition parties on the current situation and the latest developments, I stressed how important it is for all members of parliament from every party to denounce these illegal acts and to call for an end to these blockades. Just to go back to the first line there, I briefed the leaders of the opposition parties. So he didn't even bring them to listen. He brought them to lecture them. He brought them to tell them all the things that he thinks about it without actually listening. 
because he's not interested in the growing movement of Canadians that have had enough of how governments at many levels, federal, provincial, municipal, county, regional, how governments at many levels have treated them during the pandemic. And this is true of the state of emergency in Ontario as well. This is a state of emergency. How is that different from the life that we've been living for the last two years in which governments just uh, without any sort of democratic oversight, without any political opposition, pass these unconstitutional edicts that all of us have to live by? State of emergency doesn't mean all that much when you've been living in the permanent emergency, which is the very backbone of the convoy movement. And the right to assemble, the right to peaceful protest, which all of these politicians are kind of saying just to check the box, yeah, 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 you have a right to protest, but... Well, let's look at what happens when you want to use that right. This video I'm about to play was shared by a woman in Ontario who had been a part of a convoy Facebook group and got a door knock from a local OPP officer. Let's take a look. Sorry, since you're at my home, can I just get your name and your badge number, yeah. please? I have a card here. Okay. It's Erica Ingram. Thank okay. you. And this is just some information about peaceful protests. That's all it is. Okay, so you saw something on my Facebook? No, on the Facebook <clears throat> group. Okay, and decided to come to my personal residence to give me information about peaceful protest? Yes. Okay, so are the Peterborough police... No, you're with OPP? Um, are you guys now monitoring people's Facebook pages or Facebook groups to who comments as to what their um, uh, status updates are or what they're doing or okay, so within the group? Just like because of the protests happening province-wide, yes, we have been monitoring the protests. Okay. okay. So there's a protest coming up. I'm simply providing you with information about a peaceful protest. And now I'm leaving. Oh, okay. That is all. So the Ontario Provincial Police are watching what people are doing on Facebook in different groups, whether or not they're commenting, participating, liking, and you guys are now doing service calls to give people information about peaceful protest. Yeah, it's just a proactive measure to make sure you understand your rights about peaceful protesting. I absolutely, I have Perfect. a copy of the Canadian Charter of Rights Excellent. and Freedoms, so Absolutely. I'm well within that and, and yeah. very understanding of that. Uh, I appreciate that. I'm, okay. I'm hoping that uh, you guys aren't going to waste our tax dollars continuing to do this to everybody, but uh, now it's nice to know that uh, we're, we're being watched. So if you have any questions, my cell phone number is on the card. Thank you. Okay. Did you hear that? Just a, just a friendly little visit to, to make sure you know your rights to peacefully protest. Now, I should say the officer, the police officer who's with the OPP in Peterborough County, the Ontario Provincial Police, that is. Sorry, I forget not everyone is from Ontario. And it's like the, it's the, East, the Eastern Canada curse. We think the world revolves around us. I, I'm so sorry about that, especially to the Albertans. That, uh, but, but this officer, again, was very polite, was very friendly. I don't think there was anything wrong with what she said. There was nothing wrong with what she said, which was, there's a protest coming up. You should know what your rights are. And I'll show you in just a moment the little handout because they come with pamphlets. They don't just come empty-handed. The problem is the existence of the visit. The problem is the existence of the visit. Now, let's look at the pamphlet because this is clearly not the first time the OPP have done this. So it's from the Ontario Provincial Liaison Team. 
And they say that they work with individuals or groups to help facilitate peaceful events, and they're a great resource for those planning or organizing or attending an event. Our job is to dialogue and work with all those affected by an event. And you can visit uh, Demonstrator Rights to get more information. And then they say what you have to know, your rights, the role of police, consider your actions, communicate with police pre-event, when consequences could uh, when actions could result in charges, know the bylaws, understand the consequences, ask questions, working together is better for everyone. So that's the pamphlet. Again, there's nothing wrong with the text on that pamphlet. And if you go to the website, it's very benign. In fact, it's based on the premise that yes, you have a right to peacefully protest. So I'm not objecting to content. I'm objecting to form. When a police officer knocks on your door and says, I found your name in this Facebook group of this protest that I'm monitoring, and I want to tell you about your rights, what the police are telling you is that we're watching you. That's what they're saying. They're saying, we are watching you. We knew who you were. We found your name on Facebook. We looked you up at our little database. We found your address. I drove out here, not because I'm knocking on every door in the neighborhood and saying, hey, just, you know, making sure you know whatever. But we found you. We targeted you. We want you to know that we know what you're up to. We know what you're talking about online. And we know what you're planning to do on the weekend. And it doesn't matter how nice and friendly you are and how benign and neutral the text on the pamphlet is. So you just want to make sure you know your rights. What they're telling you, there, there might as well just be a giant eyeball on that that says, we see you, we know who you are, and we are watching you. And I mean this with no disrespect to the officer because the officer was given a list of names and addresses and she was very professional, very courteous. She, some people have pointed out she wasn't wearing her mask. So I'm not going to read too much into that, but the officer herself was immensely reasonable. But this is a police program that is predicated on the idea that we need to not just engage with organizers. Because I've hosted events before where you have a conversation with police about what are you doing and what are we trying to organize and how can we ensure everyone's safe. That's not what this is. This is not police and organizers talking because the organizers initiated it. This is police canvassing based on a list they're putting together from social media surveillance. And this is not dissimilar to things we've seen in the last year and a half in England and Australia, where police start knocking on people's doors and threatening them because, oh, we saw this tweet that you posted and we didn't think it was civil. So very much the police are watching what you're saying and doing, and they, these little benign friendly warnings are not at all benign. And I'm glad, I forget who it was, I think it was George earlier that asked about that. And I'm glad we had that. I'm glad we had that video. And I'm glad that woman shared it. Because again, this is not a new program, clearly. Those glitzy, glossy pamphlets already existed. That website already existed. How many other people are being coerced into staying or threatened or fearing it? I mean, especially, not that I like playing the identity politics game, but especially if you talk about immigrant communities where a knock on the door from police means something very different, people that have come from parts of the world where that is a direct overt threat. So that is a huge, huge problem for a lot of people. And again, you don't need to come from East Germany to fear that. You don't need to come from some part of the world where the police are your enemy to be concerned about that. So again, I'm not taking aim at the officer. I'm taking aim at the program itself and that idea that you have to be preemptively told of rights that we all have, which almost makes you think, are they just sending the message that we know what you're up to? And that's what's happening here. That's precisely what's happening here. 
And there's a permanence to this. And that's why the, the right to peacefully protest. That does not mean that everyone's going to like your message. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to agree with you. A peaceful protest can be, as we're seeing, quite disruptive. And we can talk about whether it's effective or ineffective. But this has not actually crossed the threshold from being a peaceful protest to being something else entirely, despite what Doug Ford and Justin Trudeau are trying to say. It still is a peaceful protest. It's a peaceful protest that is bringing parts of the economy to its knees, yes. But it is still done peacefully. And that's quite significant because when it is no longer peaceful, the state unlocks a huge arsenal of other tools it can use to go after the protest. And that's why the language here very much matters. Uh, let's get a couple more questions here. Uh, Brandon writes, why are they not doing this to Antifa? Well, maybe they are. I don't know. I've never heard of anyone from Antifa saying it. I feel if any environmental protesters were hit with this, they'd be uh, screaming even louder to defund the police because they would see it rightfully so as a threat against their right to peaceful protest because it comes in, in language from someone with a badge and a gun who, again, no matter how nice, is inherently in a position of authority. Asher writes, how much was that pamphlet to, uh, to produce? Do we pay for that? I don't know how much it was, but the answer to do we pay for that is always yes. No matter, I mean, it doesn't even matter what the question is. Do we pay for it? Yeah, that is the question. Lynn writes, why is Candace asking the truckers to stand down? What is her motivation for doing so? You know, that's a good question, uh, uh, Lynn, and I, I thank you for asking it. I don't have the answer. We've invited Candace Bergen to come on the show. I've known her for many years. I've, I've encountered her socially and professionally, and I've had only good interactions. There are a lot of conservatives that take that traditionalist law and order view. And I get that view because I've espoused aspects of that when we've talked about anti-oil blockades, when we've talked about other lawless protests. So there is a significant challenge, I think, for a lot of people on the right to be consistent. If you've condemned blockades of this nature or smaller blockades and said that they should be busted up, how do you justify not saying the same thing in this case? But I also think I'm going to give Candace Bergen a bit of slack here because she, her whole point is that she can say with a straight face to the protesters, we've heard you. She's been advocating for freedom. She's been advocating for an end to mandates. She's been advocating for an end to the passports. So she can say to the truckers, yeah, because remember when the convoy started, and this is an important point, when the convoy started, there was no one in the House of Commons, really, that was taking a vocal stand against vaccine passports and against vaccine mandates. You had the PPC, you had a couple of backbench conservative MPs, but all of the mainstream party leaders in the House of Commons were united on this. No one was speaking up. The convoy succeeded in the ousting of Aaron O'Toole. I very much attribute that to the convoy in large part, at least the timing of it. And Andrew Scheer, former conservative leader, has been very clear in supporting the convoy. Pierre Polyev, a leadership candidate, has been very clear in supporting the convoy. Candace Bergen, conservative interim leader, has been very clear in supporting the convoy. The convoy filled a vacuum that was created by the absence of political leadership. So now there is some political leadership, and I'm not saying Candace Bergen can single-handedly take down this house of cards that is Canada's pandemic response and all the COVID theater, but I think she can say with a straight face to the protesters, I've heard you and I'm picking up the fight in my way now. Now, to a lot of the convoy protesters, that won't be enough, and I get that. 
But if I were to guess, that's how she's rationalizing telling them to stand down. Because she's saying that I am now prepared to take up your fight, whereas two weeks ago, the conservative leader was not prepared to do that. That's my thought on that. Take from that what you will. As I said, I'm going to be heading back to Ottawa in the coming days to uh, talk about the story and again, tell dimensions of this that are not being told in other ways. If you want to support that, you can head on over to donate.tnc.news, donate.tnc.news. You can also send me an email with your thoughts, andrew at truenorthcanada.com. And if you'd like to keep up with my thoughts in print, my substack is over at andrewlawton.substack.com. I'm throwing a lot of links, emails, and letters at you. However, you support us and find us. We thank you so much that you do. We'll talk to you in a couple days time with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. This is the Andrew Lawton Show. Thank you. God bless and good day to you all. Thanks for listening to the Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.